South of the north, yet north of the south, lies the city of a hundred hills, peering out from the shadows of the past into the promise of the future. I have seen her in the morning, when the first flush of day had half roused her. She lay gray and still on the crimson soil of Georgia. Then the blue smoke began to curl from her chimneys. The tinkle of bell and scream of whistle broke the silence. The rattle and roar of busy life slowly gathered and swelled, until the seething whirl of the city seemed a strange thing in a sleepy land. Once, they say, even Atlanta slept dull and drowsy at the foothills of the Alleghenies, until the iron baptism of war awakened her with its sullen waters, aroused and maddened her, and left her listening to the sea. And the sea cried to the hills, and the hills answered the sea till the city rose like a widow and cast away her weeds, and toiled for her daily bread, toiled steadily, toiled cunningly, perhaps with some bitterness, with a touch of reclame, and yet with real earnestness and real sweat. It is a hard thing to live haunted by the ghost of an untrue dream, to see the wide vision of empire fade into real ashes and dirt to feel the pang of the conquered, and yet know that with all the bad that fell on one black day, something was vanquished that deserved to live, something killed that injustice had not dared to die. To know that with the right that triumphed, triumphed something of wrong, something sordid and mean, something less than the broadest and best, all this is bitter hard and many a man and city and people have found in it excuse for sulking and brooding and listless waiting. Such are not men of the sturdier make. They of Atlanta turned resolutely toward the future, and that future held aloft vistas of purple and gold. Atlanta, queen of the cotton kingdom. Atlanta, gateway to the land of the sun. Atlanta, the new Lachesis, spinner of web and woof for the world. So the city crowned her hundred hills with factories, and stored her shops with cunning handiwork, and stretched long iron ways to greet the busy Mercury in his coming. And the nation talked of her striving. Perhaps Atlanta was not christened for the winged maiden of dull Boeotia. You know the tale, how swarthy Atalanta, tall and wild, would marry only him who outraced her, and how the wily Hippomenes laid three apples of gold in the way. She fled like a shadow, paused, startled over the first apple, but even as he stretched his hand, fled again, hovered over the second, then, slipping from his hot grasp, flew over river, vale, and hill, but as she lingered over the third, his arms fell round her, and looking on each other, the blazing passion of their love profaned the sanctuary of love, and they were cursed. If Atlanta be not named for Atalanta, she ought to have been. Atalanta is not the first or the last maiden whom greed of gold has led to defile the temple of love. And not maids alone, but men in the race of life sink from the high and generous ideals of youth to the gambler's code of the burse. And in all our nation's striving is not the gospel of work befouled by the gospel of pay? So common is this that one half think it normal, so unquestioned 
that we almost fear to question if the end of racing is not gold, if the aim of man is not rightly to be rich, and if this is the fault of America, how dire a danger lies before a new land and a new city, lest Atlanta, stooping for mere gold, shall find that gold accursed. It was no maiden's idle whim that started this hard racing. A fearful wilderness lay about the feet of that city after the war. Feudalism, poverty, the rise of the Third Estate, serfdom, the rebirth of law and order, and above and between all, the veil of race. How heavy a journey for weary feet! What wings must Atalanta have to flit over all this hollow and hill, through sour wood and sullen water, and by the red waste of sun-baked clay. How fleet!